Thanks for tuning in to the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suju Organic, where we inspire, educate, and provide advice and insights around those who are in the sports business and entertainment industry. Please follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at Life in the Front Office. And don't forget to follow and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Lastly, get your 15% off Suja at sujaorganic.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O, and enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic. Excited for another episode here on our Ohio University Sports Ad Series with our co-host, Laura Waters-Brown, and our guest today in Ryan Schulman from the University of Florida and Brian Rainey from Cal. And we'll get into uh, some good old fundraising questions, a um, little bit about college athletics development, uh, their career paths, how they got there, uh, where fundraising is going. So nonetheless, Ryan, Brian, uh, welcome. I didn't even think about that rhyming until uh, <laughs> you guys Thanks are on. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Jay, Laura, appreciate you guys having us on. Absolutely. Laura, you want to kick this episode off? This is not. Anyone who went to school with me or my class is going to say, Laura, and fundraising, do not. We. She's not. That's not her vibe. But against popular uh, belief, I know a thing or two about this space. So... For all of those future fundraising interested students, because I feel like when you come into OU, there's like two really hot tracks you want to go, development, fundraising, and like ticket sales. No one wants to do anything else other than me. But I love this for you all. So talk a little bit about why you all why both of you got into this space? Like what was so intriguing about this area of fundraising of development that was like, yes, this is my jam. Um, but I'll let you kick it off. Okay. Yeah. Well, for me, you know, I actually went to Cal for, for my undergrad and after graduation, went in a year of interning for the Golden State Warriors, quickly realized I missed the college athletic space. Uh, pro, pro sports probably just wasn't a good fit. And I had that usual, you know, I want to become an athletic director someday and met with our then AD, Sandy Barber. Um, and she said, you know what, the trend is becoming more and more if, if you want to become an AD someday your path can be accelerated there if you prove you can raise money. So that's kind of what got my mind there. But I think it ended up being a great fit because, you know, I was a team manager for the men's basketball team at Cal when I was uh, at school there. And that kind of gave me the, the inside look at the life of a student athlete and what they go through and the grind and bounce, bouncing academics and athletics and the more I thought about it, I was like, man, it would be really cool to get into a space where I can support these men and women and this, um, you know, mission to develop uh, while they're at the university and excel in whatever they do after after graduating. Um, and so I actually didn't really know that if I was going to like it or not, honestly. But my first job was at the College of William and Mary out of Ohio University. That was my first uh full-time job and uh, just had a really great experience there. Lucky to have a, a, a cool boss and that kind of showed me the ropes. And once you kind of get that first ask out, <laughs> uh, there's a little bit of a weight released off your shoulders and 
I just, I, when it comes down to it, I love connecting with folks one-on-one -on -one or in group settings and, um, you know, connecting their interests with something that can support our student athletes. I, I think, I mean, Brian summed it up really well. Um, you know, my take just kind of going down my path. I thought for the longest time that I wanted to be in marketing. Um, and that was kind of my goal. I did undergrad marketing at Wisconsin. I spent four years around the athletic department, just kind of on the you know events and championship side and then marketing. And it wasn't until uh, my interview at Ohio that, you know, Jim said, oh, you know, you know what do you want to do? And it's, again, I think Laura kind of answered, everyone, you, oh, yeah, I want to be an AD. I want to be the next uh, Mitch Barnhart. I want to be the next Jeremy Foley. I want to be the next whoever, right? And it was because of that, that I took a fellowship opportunity at a Northern Illinois University and worked under a gentleman, Mark Molhauser, who was also an Ohio grad. And that's really where my love for development kind of thing came into play. Um, it was a really special year at NIU, once in Orange Bowl. Um, but we also had three kids who were academic All-Americans that year, um, Maul Jefferson, Alan Baxter, and Jason Shepler, and all three of their first in their family to get a college degree. And so I think you realize that, you know, what you're doing from a marketing standpoint uh, you're marking hey why come to a game why why use this as your uh why invest your discretionary time here coming to a game uh versus somewhere else and the parallel from a skill set standpoint is not all that dissimilar from what we do in development of why consider investing with athletics or something you care about versus or in addition to your church your uh, high school your whatever else it may be that that you that you care to support so um you know, had a great chance to work under Mark, went to Ohio, then filed him right away uh, to uh, the University of South Florida. Um, awesome mentor of mine, got hired by another really good mentor of mine who's coincidentally up the road at the University of Georgia now, um, and then have had a great opportunity to come back to Florida. And I think every stop that I've been on, um, you know, a place like USF, not a lot of history, but a lot of money there. Go to a place like West Virginia, not a lot of money but a whole heck of a lot of passion in that state, every corner. And then now obviously I have a chance to kind of come full circle to a state flagship at the University of Florida. Just it's special. And, and everywhere I've been, the part that I enjoy most about it is that there's no two conversations that are the same. There are no two days that are the same. It's how can I help you? My job is not to tell you what to do with your money. It's to educate you on what you can do. And for some folks, this is what lights their fire. And it may be totally different for others. So I think the the genuine relationship or the genuine nature of just building relationships with folks in ways that, hey, it may take three years for a gift. It may take three weeks for a gift, but whatever it is, no two days are the same. That's why I really enjoy and cherish about, a, about the job itself. That's awesome. Now, top, because <clears throat> I think one thing about the industry and um, our guest that we spoke to last night, a really interesting perspective on this transition from like grad school into the real world. It's how do you develop um, expectations or how do you create, it was, the question was around work-life balance. And it was like, how do you ideate balance, what balance is if you've never done it before? Um, so along those same lines, obviously when you got into this space, you had an idea, a idea of kind of skill sets that you think you needed. When you got into the job, were those skill sets the same, or did you say I actually need to sharpen up on these other three skill three skill sets? So, like, what are the top three skills that you think you need to be successful in this space? 
maybe two. Um, Breezy ambitions. <laughs> Obviously, uh, I mean, the first thing that jumps to my mind is being a, a great listener. Um, I mean, most of these meetings you're having, you're you're not doing most of the talking, right? You want you want to learn about the other person. They also want to learn about you, honestly. I mean, they, they're asking me questions too. And I think that kind of leads to my next one, which is um, authenticity, being genuine. Um, and donors can sniff that out pretty quickly. If they can tell if you care, if I care, let's say about Cal, and it helps that I I went to Cal. So that instantly there's like a little bit of a trust factor. But I remember my, early on in my William & Mary days, it's all it's always almost the first question you get is like did you go to William and Mary and you know no I went to Cal and then they go Cal what <laughs> they don't know what Cal you know oh you see Berkeley okay isn't that where all the hippies are sitting in the trees but you know and then there, it's just a little bit of a longer a longer play I guess in, in earning someone's trust um uh, you know if you didn't go to a particular school but um and I'd say, uh, you know, loyalty is also important to me. And and I think it, we're in the business of um, obviously developing really meaningful relationships. And I think that's really hard to do if you're skipping from place to place every year or two. I mean, I've seen a lot of churning, churning in our office. Uh, it's been better as of late, uh, luckily. But, um, you know, that, that would be another, I don't know, I guess that's not a skill, but, um, you know, going with your passion. I mean, if you're if you're really uh, caring about a specific place, then you're more likely to stay there. And those relationships that you're building get stronger and stronger. Your asks get bigger as you learn more about the person. And um, I just think you have way more success uh, than, than bouncing around, I guess. I think, Laura, uh, I think Brian's first point about being one to listen, I mean, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. You know, our, our needs are always going to be present. I mean, those are never going to go away. That's the reason why I have to come to the office every day, right? But I think it's understanding what a donor wants to accomplish with their philanthropy, whatever that looks like to he or she, right, or to a organization. And so I think, you know, the whole two ears, one mouth approach is really key. I also think what's, what's really important and, um, you know, maybe what took a little bit of time for me, and especially when we got to University of Florida, is I'll be really kidding. I thought I had imposter syndrome for like the first six months to a year. Because we're on major gift calls every other weekend. Oh, there's a $10 million gift here conversation. There's a whatever million dollar gift here. And I think what it took time for me to understand is that patience, you know, you have to be willing to meet people where they're at. And those things are going to come. And if you make really purposeful, really tangible, um, really intentional investments into a relationship, good things come from that. As Brian said, people can sniff that out really, really quickly. And the one thing I've always told folks is, listen, we are going to bond over the Gators or the Mountaineers or, or wherever I may, may work. But I also hope we bond over other things that we have a shared passion for, whatever it may be. You know, I, you're making the comment about work-life balance earlier. Um, for me, my own hat, and this is maybe going off the path a little bit, but um, I make it a point that I try to be in every day between like 730, 740. And I'm not one to sit around a water cooler early. I go to my desk, I shut the door and I grind for two hours. Because if I'm not productive in those first two hours, nothing else matters. But where I'm going with that is this, is that at 5, 5.15 every day, I'm out of the office because my balance is working out in Orange Theory. 
Like my wife and I love that. That is our just release for 60 minutes, whatever it is. And it's funny, one of the, it wasn't the largest gift, but it was the gift that I think was most impactful for me at West Virginia. Happened to be a donor that I recruited Orange Theory and we bonded through that. And so I think it's those types of things of just, what are the shared passions you have outside? And, you know, whether it's with your family, whether it's with other shared interests, you know, whatever it may be, um, I think that's really important. So I think, yeah, listening, patience. And I think one thing that I really try to get better at after Ohio is also now, I mean, just we live in a world where, you know, data is kind of that, that king of currency, right? Is getting really, really good at, at, at Excel, at analytics, you know, teaching yourself just different things. I think just have a thirst for learning. Um, you know, that's been a, that's been a really key thing for us here is that, you know, the ways of, you know, 15, 20 years ago saying, Hey, we're just going to go put 90,000 fans in the stands. That's not, that's not realistic. Anymore. You know, more and more schools are downsizing. So how are you finding that next person? Because the people who are giving you five, $10 million or a million dollars or $500,000 however many years ago, that may be a lifetime gift for some. They're not just going to keep giving you half a million dollars or a million dollars every five years. So where do you find that? And I think um, the last thing to that point, I think is just not comparing yourself to people. You know, if you have a donor whose first time gift is $10,000, that's a really impactful gift for that donor. Okay. I would argue that a smaller gift is harder to get than a larger gift. Larger gifts may take time, but smaller gifts are, hey, that, that's the difference between me taking my family to Disney this year or not. Somebody's making a million dollars, half a million dollars to get that's, oh, hey, I have stock options. I'll move some stuff around, whatever. So I think just not comparing yourself, having patience and listening and uh, just having a thirst for analytics, I think is, is really, really key in this business. So much to unpack there. I think, you know, when you think about the, the fundraising world and Brian, you go back to your, your first comment about wanting to be an AD, right? And, um, you know, what it takes to get there. You can't fake fundraising to get to be in a leadership position, right? There's no way to fake it till you make it there. I mean, it's, um, it's, you know, we've had other people on the episode on the podcast talking about, you know, fundraising is multi, is ultimately sales, right? Like that's, you know, there's, there's numbers you got to hit. There's, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta, from an outreach perspective and pacing and all that, all that good stuff, you can't fake that. So as you think about, um, being in different places to where you haven't gone to school, right? Brian, you've got the fortunate experience of being back where you went to school and you've got that passion where you can talk about it. But Ryan, going to all these different places, meeting different people, experiencing their walks of life, their hobbies, their interests. Um, the first thing that comes to my mind is like, how do you become the most well-rounded person possible? And Ryan, I don't know if you want to hit on this at all, but you know, how do you, how do you, become interested in, in other people's hobbies or, or learn about them to then develop more of your own hobbies so that you can talk to, because if you're just all work, nothing else, there's not a lot that the depth to you of when you get in these conversations is not that much. I'll tell you what, it, that's a great question. I mentioned earlier, I mean, a place like Tampa, Florida is way different than Morgantown, West Virginia. It's way different. But I will tell you this, my wife and I, we loved every second of our time in Morgantown and I have nothing but love for West Virginia University. Um, I think it, it is definitely intriguing though of, you know, I'm using West Virginia specifically as an example here because there you may be walking around a tailgating lot 
and you may maybe walking next to the CEO of Cisco Systems or um, a, a managing partner at a law firm. And you may be right next to someone who, you know, has all this land wealth through oil and natural gas. And one of the closest relationships my wife and I still have up there um, is a gentleman who it's like data and cybersecurity. And every time we go back to Western Virginia, we see that. You'll see another couple who, you know, again, he sold his first company when he was in his 30s or got out of his first company when he was in his 30s. I still, to this day, don't necessarily fully understand what he does, but I, I know enough generally to like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I have a good grasp on it. But I think the, the big thing that I walk with, and Jake, I'm getting back to your question here, is not ever being afraid to be vulnerable with someone and saying, I just do not know. Like, and, and it's no different than when people say, hey, you know, I, I really don't know what you guys do on a day-to-day basis. That, that's okay to say, I don't know. And I think when, when you walk in to a meeting, to whatever it is, yeah, you should have a pretty good idea. Hey, does this individual, do they have the capacity to give? And if they don't, I'm not really sure why you're visiting, right? Um, but it is 100% okay if you don't know every aspect of their line of work. But if you don't, you should be asking questions like, hey, like, talk to me about, like, like, what does this do? How does this affect your day-to-day job? And I think getting back to the questions that are, you know, tied to work a little bit, but also, again, like, what do you like doing in your personal time? Do you have a family? What, what is your family like doing? All those things. I think it's, you, you hit it on the head of just being well-rounded in that regard, um, because it's, frankly, it's the same thing in Gainesville. We have 400,000 living alumni. I mentioned Orange Theory earlier. CEO of Orange Theory is a Gator grad. You know, we are fortunate to bond over that, right? But then you also have people who own orange groves throughout Central Florida. And those are two totally different walks of life, right? So um, I think just always being a sponge and being willing to listen and just learn from people um, goes a long, long, long way. So Brian, to the, yeah. to the point that Ryan made about family, you don't necessarily have a family when you're 23 and you're at William and Mary and you're starting out your career, right? So how do you connect with individuals when you just aren't in that period of life, right? Like not, and look, there's plenty of people who get, you know, have a family at 23, right? But it's the, hey, you're going to connect with different people on different things along your journey as you grow as an individual. Yeah, no, I'm glad Ryan mentioned uh, the word vulnerable. Um, I think that applies in, in many different areas, actually. I mean, it's it can be in a meeting, right, when someone asks you something about the school and, you know, you know, I don't know, but let me get back to you on that. But I actually think of it more kind of being vulnerable in terms of sharing personal stuff to kind of let them into my world a little bit to make that connection. So I guess an example that has will be with me forever is something to people that a lot of people don't know about me is I'm a below the knee amputee. So I lost my leg when I was three years old. And it's not like I force that into every conversation when I'm meeting with somebody, but if, if the conversation's flowing a lot and, and they're asking some questions about me, yeah, like I'll share that with them. And I think in a way that on their end, they appreciate that. It's like, oh, this person that I just met, you know, feels comfortable telling something to me that's, you know, pretty personal. And, um, it helps, you know, like sort of, I guess, develop a little bit of a trust and a, and start that relationship. Um, and then I had a meeting recently 
you know, with um, a cow donor. Um, I actually didn't work on the gift. Like I was kind of subbing in for the visit, but um, this person pledged $500,000 to create this new position at our Cameron Institute, which is focused on developing student athletes holistically. And specifically this gift established a new job, a new staff member um, to focus on mental performance and leadership development. So our conversation kind of went into the mental health space and um, you know, going along the lines of being vulnerable, I, I sort of shared my personal journey and, uh, you know, my, I, I've kind of battled stress and anxiety for probably 12-ish years now, you know, um, and again, it's, I, he, I, I could tell he appreciated because it, it kind of sparked him to, to share more about himself and some personal things that he was dealing with too. And I don't know if I'm making sense there, but it's just, again, people can kind of sniff out if, if you're fake, I guess, is, is, is one of the ways I put it. Um, you mentioned that we're in sales. It's kind of funny, like coming into this, I'm like, all right, the one thing I don't want this person to think of me as is a slimy car salesman, right? Just like over the top, enthusiastic, like some people are like that and that's cool, but um I'm more, I guess, sort of in the laid back, <laughs> chill vibe, I guess, and and getting to know you. Um, and I could not do ticket sales. Like I, I would be terrible at that. Picking up the phone, cold calling. Uh, one of the things I like about development is it, it, there's, I, I believe there's a little bit more of strategy and um, especially major gifts, uh, which can take a year and a half or so, you know, depending on the person, maybe to close. Um, but you're kind of mapping out a plan almost to how can I engage this person in meaningful ways and when is the right time to make the ask. So in in the world we live in from like an urgency and, and immediate expectation perspective and gratification, like and and results, right? There's a lot that we'll get into here in a second of just whether it's new facilities, NIL, all these different things that you're trying to raise money for, um, how do you go about keeping the process while also knowing that there's these larger expectations of, hey, we need more money, more money, more money. It's like, well, this is how it works, right? You can't speed up the process to then ask somebody to give money faster. Just you have to build that relationship. You know, Jay, that's a good question. Um... I, I think it's, and, and frankly, a lot of it, I'll just be candid about this. It typically stems, you know, top down. We're really fortunate to have really, really great leadership, you know, here at the University of Florida within Gator Boosters. You know, if you have leadership that understands that and understands the process, um, again, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I mentioned earlier, you know, on Laura's question, I think, you know, comparison sometimes can be the thief of joy, right? Of, you know, we had an unbelievable fundraising year last year in credit to a, pretty much almost everyone on our staff. I mean, we we had an unbelievable year last year. And then it feels like we didn't have a chance to take a breath because all of a sudden we got to to this first kind of transfer portal era. And it's, oh, you know, now, hey, all right, great. Glad you guys built an $85 million facility. Now we need this. Or now we need this. And I think it's when you have leadership in place that understands that, hey, it takes time. You know, it's, you know, sometimes you strike when the iron's hot, but, but more often than not, major gift fundraising, um, I'll, I'll want to draw a comparison to something Brian said about ticket sales. Like ticket sales is very much a linear type piece, 
in some ways. It's either linear going this way when you're winning, or it's linear going this way when you're losing one, two. Um, I think major gift fundraising is just kind of like an EKG. I mean, my, my boss uses that analogy a lot. So you're just going to see spikes. And that is not always correlated with winning and losing. That's just coordinated or correlated with, you know, like look at last year, you had a, a really strong stock market. You had a lot of folks who had, you know, heavily appreciate stocks. You had a unique things in the CARES Act. You had all these things. That it was just the right time. And then all of a sudden, you know, we, we hired Coach Napier and he was looking to build out a football operational budget. And that was a unique need that just struck people in that moment that resonated with them more than putting their name on a facility. I think for us, you know, I, I go back to something that Brian said too. It's like, I say in, in every conversation I have, yeah, no doubt. I collect a paycheck every two weeks. You know, are we or are we not raising money? Yes or no. I mean, that is my day job because I think it's important that people know in a day what we do. But I also think it's equally as important if people know how we're going about it is I'm pretty vulnerable. I say, listen, whether we walk away from this mini or not, and you say you're comfortable going forward, that's fine. But I typically put on a spectrum them to say, hey, on a scale of one to 10, you know, 10 being you knew everything. Where do you think you were in terms of opportunities to help support the things you care about? And be, oh, I was probably a three, four, five. If you walk away as a six, seven, or eight, I did my job because we're putting investments into that relationship that you are now equipped with the knowledge base to potentially go then pursue something you want. So if you haven't made a gift before, it's do you have ability? Yes or no. Okay. If you have ability, are you aware of opportunities to help affect the things you care about? Yes or no. And then from there, is it priority for you right now in your life? And sometimes you need those stars to align for all to happen at the same time. But again, I think it goes back to having leadership that understands that. You know, if leadership sets a direction with a long-term goal, you know, and not, um, yeah, I think it's easy to do fire drills nowadays, you know, facilities, NIL, program support, whatever it is. But if you have leadership that is really keen and really, really aware on what are going to be the priorities for the next five years? And how do we lay those out in accomplishing those versus saying, hey, we got a fundraise for this because George is doing this or Alabama's doing this or UCLA is doing this. If you're just the, the comparison thing, I, I think you're, you're kind of, you're, you're running straight towards a cliff or you're, you're getting somewhere fast, but you don't know if where you're going to get to is really where you need to be, right? So um, I hope that kind of answers that question. I think a lot of just stems from leadership and then just get into the batter's box and swing just keep swinging at things. So you gotta, you gotta swing at good pitches though. You gotta, you know, it's there, there's uh, I'll build off your analogy there. I mean, it, there's, there's a lot to it, right? It's not just, um, again, there, there's some strategy to it. So there's some, some more thinking, more thoughtful approach. Um, but as we wrap up the episode, I, I want to kind of hit on, you know, what are the evolving things as someone who, you know, you put yourself back in, in, uh, Hey, I'm, I'm graduating from grad school or undergrad, or, um, you know, you've got your first job, but you're looking for your next step. What are the things that are evolving in, in fundraising and development and where can people get opportunities? Where's the, you know, Brian, when you think about, Hey, how do I get to the AD chair? It's through fundraising. Like, is that still the same? Is it changing? Brian, why don't you jump on this first and I'll, I'll jump in on that. <laughs> I think overall, yes, it's still pretty true. Uh, if you can prove you can bring in money, raise money, your path to becoming an AD is, is a little bit accelerated. That being said, um, 
you know, I've had, I've worked under a couple ADs that I've had some untraditional paths and there's certainly no cookie cutter approach to getting there. Um, you know, I think coming out of the pandemic, we also learned a lot of things too, that, um, you know, work in terms of like work flexibility and being able to get things done from home as well. So, you know, we now, and maybe it's like this at Florida too, have a, a category where you can select virtual visit, right, with a donor, or now a phone call is mostly considered a significant contact report. So I guess what I'm getting at is like honing those skills are still very much important. Um, and nothing beats an in-person visit, but all of a sudden kind of coming out of the pandemic, I think folks realize that you can do our work over a call like this or over the phone sometimes. And um, I, I'm kind of going off here maybe a little bit, but but I do think, you know, prior to the pandemic, I'm just speaking for, for my, you know, experience at Cal, we put so much weight into the in-person visits. And at times I would say, you know, there, there are meaningful advancements you make possibly over a text or, uh, you know, I've had a couple of times Facebook Messenger, honestly, like tracking someone down through that and, and getting some answers and, and good information. So I think you just got to be on your toes and creative, know what the donor's preference is or the best way you can get a response from them. Um, and I just want to add another thing too. Um, it's something that's, that's, kind of not measurable, I guess, but I think in our business, it's easy to just focus on who already has the capacity, right? The big names that you know of and that you're aware of. And I, and I, I guess I'll speak specifically to the um, athlete alumni population right now. So you think of like pro athletes, right? And you try to get straight to them. And I think it should apply to non-athletes as well, but really it comes down to like everybody matters and so i know that there are some basketball alumni for example that will probably never make a gift to calman's basketball but one of those guys i can absolutely point to and say he helped me in the process of getting to jason kidd which ultimately led to a 1.3 million dollar gift like if i didn't have that relationship with this person I don't know if that ever happens, right? So um, I guess that's more about like an advice thing is, is just it, don't just dismiss the people that don't have the capacity because they can kind of help you get in the door, um, whether it's sharing someone's contact information or getting you that person's executive assistant info. I mean, um, gosh, what was, the, Jim Kaler had the word for him, the gatekeepers, right? The gatekeepers, um, so critical, right? And developing a, a relationship with those people even you know um and a connection with them so um i know that's a little bit of a ramble but i just wanted to get that in there well i think i think to your point brian like communication matters in the way that it's not all just in person right there's little little touch points little there's always different avenues you can get to people and to your point about the preference like people are busy not everybody has the ability to go meet in person if they can figure out how to hop on a quick zoom call and you can do it more efficiently and effectively like great um ryan thoughts thoughts as we wrap up the episode here yeah i think again i'll, I'll try to be uh expeditious in saying this i think for students who are looking to get into development um and again COVID proved it 
your ability to be a revenue generator versus a revenue drainer, I think is going to be really, really key. And your ability to contribute positively to the bottom line is important. I think college athletics as a whole is radically different from when I got into it. And I guarantee you, and however many years when we get to a 10, 15, 20 year reign, it's going to look way different even from then. And, you know, whether that means that we're walking down the path of a revenue share with student athletes, whether it means that um, NIL still exists the way it does now, I don't know. I, I think there are too many uncertainties, you know, for me, uh, again, just a broad disclaimer, I, I think that um, there's a lot of challenges that we're facing within college athletics right now. I mean, that is across the board. And I am very weary of the fact that, you know, if we stay down this path, there could be a consolidation of power and resources over the next three to four to five years. I think maintaining the beauty of why we got into this is important. Um, you know, my wife and I, we love gymnastics. You know, Florida has an unbelievable gymnastics program. We have an unbelievable baseball program, softball program. You go down on the list. You know, we're really fortunate in that regard that I am weary of the fact that, you know, those three little letters that we kind of joke about are just having such an outsized influence on two sports predominantly. Um, but I think that being said, it's, there, there's such a, an importance on, again, keeping the focus on um, the fact that opportunities through athletics to get an education is so important for so many kids who otherwise would not. And, and let me be perfectly clear as we wrap up, I am 100% a believer in student athletes having an opportunity to monetize themselves. I have been for a long, long, long time. I just don't know if the path that we're going down right now is the way to do that in a way that best protects their interests in the long term. You know, because you have a lot of 18, 19 year old kids. I and mean, I've, I've made this point before you press play. I've seen the stat now in two places. You have 85, 86% of men's basketball and football student athletes who come from a family either in poverty or below the poverty line. So if you're just going to say, hey, we're going to hand over XYZ to a kid, either through NIL, through, you know, making you an employee, and now your scholarship is taxable income, you know, fringe benefits, all those things the literacy and the education, like what we do every day with donors from an educational standpoint is key because Uncle Sam touches some of that. You know, you, you can't just go spend it right away. And so, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful for leadership at a lot of different places from an institutional level, um, an NCAA level to help figure this out. Um, but it, it's an exciting time. It's a different time. It's going to continue to evolve. And I think as long as people, you know, go in with a mindset that, um, it's okay if things change, you know, I mean, Jake, I'll say for transparency out here, I, when I got to Ohio, I thought I wanted to be like a Jeremy Foley or a Mitch Barnhart or a Danny White or, you know, kind of that cradle of ideas that came through Ohio, you know, and I'll say this candidly on this podcast that, you know, with my wife and I now expecting here in the fall, my priorities are going to look way different as a dad than they did when I was in court street running around, you know, running around at Ohio. Right. So I think that, you know, for students who are looking to get into it, come in with an open mind, be willing to learn, be willing to listen, and, um, you know, just know that what we do is special because we are making such a profound impact on the lives of young people um, across a lot of different sports, so. Well said across the board. I mean, uh, we'll get to a quick uh, rapid fire here to, to, to end with some fun um related to good old court street but uh 
Nonetheless, Ryan, uh, we'll start with you. Um, favorite college stadium you've been to amongst your trips? Um, I'll say this. I mean, obviously, I, I love uh, I love here being at the swamp. I mean, there's there's nothing louder than that, in my opinion. But to again to again the Neyland Stadium last year um, was pretty cool for our matchup. Um, I think Tennessee's a, a, a pretty cool campus. I think a lot of the, a lot of the Florida staff would probably shoot me for saying that, but um, I, I think I think Tennessee's pretty cool. Um, I also don't think there's a better tailgating atmosphere than than West Virginia, in my opinion. So, Brian, best stadium you've been to? I uh, yeah, I've been there twice. Once working at Cal, and actually once when I was at uh, actually twice actually when I was at in at Ohio. But uh, Notre Dame, man, is is special. Um, it's being from the West Coast, definitely like a bucket list type thing. You know, you, see, you got the Rudy movie, but like. <laughs> It really is a cool spot, um, and their fans are great. And um, it was a hell of a game this this past fall. We ended up coming up short, but certainly a super memorable experience. And as well as the other times I was with my classmates. Favorite Olympic sport? Gymnastics. Gymnastics, man. It's... Yeah, he, I was gonna like go like this when Ryan said gymnastics fans. My wife was a gymnast in college, um, and so she kind of got me hooked on it as we started watching more and more. We're now season ticket holders for Cal women's gymnastics and um, the pressure on them and the, and the Olympics is, is like, is nuts, but just overall as a college sport, I, I really enjoy it. All right. On a scale of one to 10, since both of you have got the same answer, what's your level of understanding of the scoring and could you be a judge? Uh, on a scale of one to 10, I'm never going to give myself a 10, but would actually give myself like a nine. I mean, I know my start values. I know, I know being vertical on uneven bars, you know, I know steps and stuff like that. Um, we record all of our gymnastics meets at Florida. We're season ticket holders for, for gymnastics at Florida. Um, we love it, man. It's, and again, when I talk about the power of truly college athletics, yeah, football and basketball get a lot of attention, but you look at the Olympics and the amount of folks that come through collegiate programs who go on to the Olympics. Um, it's awesome. Like we we love gymnastics. When we oh, when, when I started this podcast, I would, would not have thought we would have gotten here. <laughs> Brian, Brian, are you a nine too? I just wanted to say this. I kind of chuckle now thinking about it. I learned pretty quickly, like you know how different sports have different little things. And and so Cal was uh competing against Stanford, our biggest rival. This was many years ago now. And I'm kind of like somewhat hoping that the Stanford, you know, student athlete messes up a bit on beam, like not getting hurt, but like kind of slips up a little bit, maybe wobbles a bit and falls off the beam, but right under her feet sort of thing. And my wife was not having it. She's like, no, like it, it basically it's like you're supportive of everyone. The scores, even if you lose if your score is high, like it's still a very positive thing. And I don't know, it took me a while to kind of grasp that. I could not be a judge to yeah. answer that question. Um, but if it not, you said you didn't think you'd go there. Uh, I'll be vulnerable. I don't know if this is one of your questions about like having a nerdy interest, but ever since the age of five to now being almost a 40 year old, I've been fascinated with the business of pro wrestling. <laughs> So I'll throw that out there. My my, fact, classmate, that's my the fun fact for Brian. Brother, but uh, 
Okay. I'll, I'll take that and, and put it, you know, to the extreme in terms of uh, things you didn't expect to hear on this podcast. Jake, I'll say quick jump on Brian is, yeah, we, I mean, we record everything. I could tell we were, my, my wife was working night shift at the hospital. She's like, how did you know, like what scores we got on like, uneven? I was like, oh, it was, we were 49.7 on beam. We were 49.675 on floor. Like, I mean, we, we love it. It's awesome. So um, I'm not a big pro wrestler. I, I can't get into that as much. <laughs> that definitely, listen, gymnastics, you can spoon feed. We get, we get 10 to 11,000 for a gymnastics meet here in Florida. It is unbelievable. It's Amazing. unreal. And for anyone listening to the podcast, go to your local gymnastics meet. It, they're awesome. I, I, I'm going to end the podcast episode there because <laughs> it's incredible. Um, yeah, go, go to your local college gymnastics meet. Uh, there's, there's, I mean, Ryan, this, this is a, a sport that's not like uh, field hockey. I mean, like there, there's a lot of programs with gymnastics programs. Yeah, and, and you know, quickly too, actually, I'll end on this because it's actually a good parallel. I think when I talk about the future of college athletics and how it's going to look different, NIL has done some unbelievable things for these Olympic programs. You know, SUNY Lee, Jade Carey, um, uh, there, there's a gal at UCLA, Jordan Childs, right? Um, you know, even Trinity Thomas here for us who came back for her fifth year, right? You're now having a lot of opportunities in these sports for kids who probably are not going to go on to whatever professional, you know, league is in play because there is no NFL, MLB, NBA for these sports, right? So it's a chance now for some of the best athletes who are competing in the Olympics to say, you know, I'm not just going to go compete and prep for the Olympics. I'm going to come back and compete in school. And that's the reason why you have SUNY Lee at Auburn and, and why I think there's been such a massive influx. I mean, you know, last night watching Caitlin Clark drop a 40-point triple-double to go to the Final Four, right? You know, student-athletes like that. I think there's just – there's a lot of excitement, not just around Olympic sport. There's a lot of excitement around, you know, the women's game now. And I think, you know, again, college athletics has changed a lot. You know, those three little letters are, were not a thing when I was in school. Now they are. But I think for as much you know bad press as it may get, sometimes it's doing a lot of good in the Olympic sports space. Um, and I am serious. I mean, I think I can only hope that the local college gymnastics meets are exciting as they are here at Florida. Um, we love it. We love yeah, it. I, just a real quick jump on that. They're also great role models. Like, yeah, no doubt, student athletes, uh, not just some gymnastics, but across the board. And you know, I'm a girl dad. I only have one daughter, but four and a half year old. And we take her to the meets and they're so accessible, right? Like after the meets, they'll do autograph sessions and mingle with the kids and stuff. It's that, that piece is a, a cool part of our job too. Uh, again, to Brian's point, kind of bringing back to like why we're doing this, why we're in this space. So creating memories for sure. Well, well, Ryan, Brian really appreciate the insights, perspectives, the vulnerability on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> and Always appreciate uh, as proud Bobcats and many other mascots along your journey. Uh, appreciate the insight uh, on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Studio Organic. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Jake. Thanks, Jake. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for tuning into today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Studio Organic. Remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe. And follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at Life in the Front Office. And don't forget to get your 15% off Suja at sujaorganic.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And stay tuned for next Monday's episode with a new guest and new content.